you would turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. As you're turning there, before we get to that uh, wonderful passage of Holy Scripture, we would like to give thanks unto the Lord that he has two of our brothers back with us uh, today. Mr. Jerry Young's back with us after a procedure this week. It's good to see you, brother. And Mr. Larry Phillips, it's so good to see you again this morning. John chapter 6. If you'd look over that chapter, it's a long chapter. It's a famous chapter. We see at the beginning of the chapter Jesus feeding the 5,000. We see that uh, a story, that account of Jesus walking on the water. And then we see the account of the crowds coming to Jesus the next day. And Jesus gives them a sermon. And boy, does he give them a sermon. I'm not going to read all of that, but I will read at the very end the conclusion of that account. Really the response to that sermon. And I know all preachers want everybody to, once they kind of leave the sanctuary, just cheer and say, yes, what a great sermon. We're all on board, Pastor. But then I'm humbled to recognize that the greatest of all preachers preached this powerful sermon, and this is the reaction he gets. Let's begin with verse 60. When many of his disciples, note that, disciples, followers, those who claim to be followers of the Messiah Jesus, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you, reiterating a point from the sermon, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed And we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Johnny and I hadn't been ARPs for long. And it came time for White Oak ARP's annual special services. 
Once a year, there will be a, basically a week-long series of messages. A visiting minister would be brought in. The minister would preach in the evening and then would also be preaching on Sundays. It was that year, I think the first year we were ARPs, that the visiting minister was Reverend Ray Lanning. I don't know if Jim remembers Ray or not. Ray was, an, and I guess he still is, an excellent preacher. And the sanctuary was fairly full virtually every night. I mean, even Thursday night and even Friday night. It was virtually full. And his text was John chapter 6. And from this great chapter, from this particularly this great sermon that we've seen the response to, Ray preached, and he preached on what in the Reformed world are known as the doctrines of grace, or what some people call Calvinism. Just look at a few verses, verses that we didn't necessarily read all of them. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Now that series of sermons taken from this passage of scripture was truly moving. It was a powerful series for this young couple freshly come to the Reformed faith. We were just eating it up. Oh, what beautiful words. Sovereign grace, God glorified in salvation. Salvation not being the work of man's hands, it's being the work of God in the lives of his people. We were eating it up. And while we were moved with great gratitude for that preached word of sovereign grace, the dear young organist didn't like what she was hearing. And each night, she seemed to get more and more and more agitated. And it dawned on her. You could kind of see it, even in her facial expressions. It really dawned on her what this church actually believed. I don't know why it happened before. The minister was a faithful minister. He preached the scriptures. He preached, uh, he preached from a very reformed perspective. He, he studied under John Murray. He went to Westminster Theological Seminary. I don't know what it was, but in that series of meetings, her eyes were open and she didn't like what she heard. Within a month's time, she was off of the organ bench. Within a month's time, she had left the church. And it struck me that whole incident struck me as fitting for John 6. Here we were wanting to hold on to everything and just loving what we heard, and yet here was another who was just turned away and left. If you read this chapter, if you read that sermon, you do see this strong, strong emphasis upon salvation being of the Lord. But you also, there are a couple other things in, in, in the sermon that, 
that caused people problems then and caused people problems now. One of them was that Jesus said, I came down from heaven. What's he doing? He's saying he's what? He's God. He's divine. And not only do you have the doctrines of grace, and not only do you have Jesus making a divine claim, you also have Jesus kind of going again and again and again at this language that if you are to be his follower, if you abide in him, you got to feed on him. you got to take him in. You got to eat his flesh. You got to drink his blood. And when you would think Jesus would then kind of pause a little bit and say, "Oh, I'm just don't be too fretful. I'm I'm I'm, I'm speaking figuratively." He doesn't. He just keeps on pouring it on. You must have me. You must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. And when you take all those things together, when you put them all together, what do many in this audience then do? Bye. I'm gone. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And then we have that that most poignant exchange. I mean, you just feel the pathos. That exchange between Jesus and the twelve who remain. And he turns to them. And what does he say? Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to abandon me as well? Was was it just all a show for you as well? Did you really not trust me? Like, they didn't? And how does Peter respond? Isn't it beautiful? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, Peter, for all the times he didn't get it, that time he what? He got it. He got it. And this grace-given faith and conviction that Jesus was the only way, Peter clung to, Peter professed it, and Peter would then go on and boldly proclaim it after Christ had risen, after Christ had ascended, after Christ had poured out his Spirit, Peter would go and proclaim the same sort of message before the Jewish council, before the high priest, before all the Jewish leaders who had hauled him there before them because he is preaching Jesus. And what did Peter say in Acts chapter 4? When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Then he adds, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there 
is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name but Jesus. But Jesus. Peter was a man by sovereign grace who was brought to faith, was brought to trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Is it any wonder that nearly 1,500 years after that bold proclamation of Peter in Jerusalem, that salvation, that eternal life, that communion with God was only found in and through Jesus Christ, that other men and women by grace would put their God-given faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, and like Peter of old, they would declare that there is salvation in no other name but in Jesus Christ. That there is no other name under heaven and among men. Not Mary, not a plethora of saints, not a hierarchy of church leaders, no other name to turn to and no need to turn to anyone else except to Jesus and to Jesus alone. For Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. And so to the clarion calls and the banner statements of sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, we add what? Solus Christus. In Christ alone. An English theologian, Michael Reeves, notes, The center, the cornerstone, the jewel in the crown of Christianity is not an idea, it's not a system, it's not a thing. It's not even the gospel as such. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In short, all of our efforts at theology ultimately rise fall with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The grace that enables us to believe not in ourselves, but the grace that enables us to believe not in ourselves nor in any other would-be saviors, the grace that enables us to believe enables us to believe in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's the center of our faith, Christ alone. I'm not your Savior. Your mother and dad are not your Savior. Mary's not your Savior. You are not your Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior and Him alone. And Christ alone tells us at least two things. I'll make these brief. It tells us that we have an all-sufficient Savior. An all-sufficient Savior. In Luther's day, there was a, a very complex system in place in the church. And you, you had to go to a priest 
and the priest doled out seven sacraments. And it would be through those seven sacraments that you had to go. And you had to go through those. And then you also had to go through sort of a, a chain of command to ever get your petition, your request to the Father. Because, see, the Father was too angry. So you didn't go directly to him. And Jesus was too angry. You didn't go directly to him. So you went to your priest and you went through the sacraments and you went through saints. Pick them. And you went to sweet Mary. Because maybe sweet Mary would bend the ear of Jesus, tug his heartstrings, and make him listen. And then if Jesus would listen, then maybe the Father would. And that's the sort of system that was in place in the days of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and others. The church had forgotten the very scripture that said there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not Jesus plus others, not Jesus plus you, not Jesus plus you and Mary, not Jesus plus you and Mary and St. Patrick or whoever you want to call out to, Jesus alone. Solus Christus. But not only was it a, a, a bunch of intermediaries other than Jesus that were at play in the system of Luther's day, but there was this idea of going and doing things. You had to go to the priest and you had to confess your sin and the priest would acknowledge absolution, but you had to make satisfaction for your sins. And he might tell you, you got to say so many prayers, you got to fast for so long, you got to go on this pilgrimage, you got to buy this indulgence, all these sort of things. And you thought you had to do that to make satisfaction. And the reformers said, no, Jesus' sacrifice is what? All sufficient. It's Jesus alone, not Jesus plus your works. Jesus alone. And that was the case in the 1500s, and brothers and sisters, it's the case right now. Jesus alone. This calls for personal reflection. It's not just a problem that Roman Catholics had in Luther's day. It's a problem we've got. Even us self-professed Protestants, even us self-professed Reform types, even us self-professed ARPs, we will oftentimes do what? We'll trust in Jesus plus something else. Well, my daddy went to that church. Well, I taught Sunday school. Well, I'm there every, and we begin to get this idea that it's Jesus plus what we do. Now, we are supposed to do things, right, out of gratitude in our heart. But what we do does not save us. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. And that goes against our grain, doesn't it? Because we want to contribute something. So for some of you, accepting a gift is really hard. You want to you wanna do something. You want to pay somebody back. Should we turn to our own works? Should we turn to somebody else? 
when we have an all-sufficient Savior, one who is our prophet and teaches us the ways of the Lord, one who is our priest who went into the Holy of Holies and offered up himself as a complete and perfect sacrifice for our sins, and one who intercedes for us now, do, do, do we need a, a, another Savior or the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who is defeating all his and our enemies, who is defeating Satan and who is defeating uh, principalities and powers and high places, who is defeating sin, who is defeating death itself? Do we need another Savior? The arrogance to even ask such a question. And brothers and sisters, this, this all-sufficient Savior is eminently approachable. He's not this scowling, cruel taskmaster. What does he say to you? What does he say to me? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The all-sufficient Savior. But Solus Christus also tells us this. Jesus is the only true Savior. The only true Savior. It teaches us the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And brothers and sisters, again, it's not just those back in the 1500s who were looking for multiple ways unto the Lord. It happens today. We, we evangelicals who should be known for being those who love God's truth and are committed to God's truth, so oftentimes stray. One pastor was relating about a, a, a Presbyterian minister, and he, and he said and he wasn't a minister of, of that man's denomination, and I'll say he's not a minister of, of our denomination either. But that particular minister, when he was put in the context of being questioned, you mean, you think that Jesus is the only way to God? This Presbyterian minister said, what's the big deal about Jesus? What's the big deal about Jesus? Now, I don't, you know, whatever you would say about that statement, a hundred years ago, you could hardly find a Presbyterian minister who would say such a thing. What is the big deal about Jesus? This is the big deal about Jesus. It's in Jesus and him alone that we have the words of eternal life. There is salvation in no one else. For there's no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here's a personal and congregational challenge. Will we remain faithful to trust the scriptures? Will we remain faithful to proclaim, like Peter, that there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved?
Will we submit to Jesus' own view of himself when Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through or by me. We will if we are enthralled with Jesus. We will be faithful. We will be steadfast. We will if we know Christ savingly ourselves. I end with the words of Peter from his first epistle. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If by grace you live in the light and have been called out of darkness, if by grace you know the excellencies of Jesus Christ and him alone, if you have tasted and you have seen that the Lord is good, if you know Jesus, then no matter what the world says when they call you narrow and bigoted, you will remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, He is the only way of salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. The question is, have we tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Do we love Jesus? Are we enthralled with him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, apart from your sovereign grace, our eyes would be closed, our hearts would be hearts of stone. And yet you are a God of great and sovereign grace. And you have sent your spirit to call a people out of darkness into your kingdom of light. And when you do so, you work faith in their hearts. But it's not a faith in anything. It's not a faith in themselves. It's not a faith in the church. It's a faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. May every single person here today have such faith. Heavenly Father, send your spirit 
to do that mighty work of bringing us all to the foot of the cross with nothing in our hands that we bring, but simply to the cross we cling. For our hope is in Christ and him alone. Amen.